and welcome to You Hear Me, a podcast devoted to young adult literature. I'm Alan Hoffman. And I'm Cody Hoffman. And this is our first actual episode. Hopefully you have listened to episode zero uh, that we put out two weeks ago, so you know who we are. Um, But in case you need a refresher, I am an English teacher, and my lovely wife Cody is a librarian. Yes, in rural Montana. Rural Montana, and we both enjoy young adult literature, and so we figured we would do a podcast about young adult literature, because that's what you do in this day and age, when you find something that you like, you podcast about it. So, here we are. This is episode one, and if you missed episode zero, we're going to be talking about Hatchet today. Now, nobody actually wrote into us or anything like that, but um, the people that I talked about when I said that I, we were going to do a podcast on Hatchet, they were all like, that book is so amazing, and, and boys really love it. It's so popular. Well, I think I even saw on Facebook that one of your friends had said, oh, I remember my teacher reading to that me that in fourth grade. Yeah, so this is a book that obviously resonates with people. It, it resonates with readers, even if they are like me, and it's been 15, 16 years probably since they read it, probably even more than that, um, since I was probably in junior high, which was a little longer ago than I'm willing to admit on a podcast. <laughs> um, but it, it's a book that resonates with people, and it, it's a popular book, uh, despite it being published in 1987. Yep, 1987. Um, so, Cody, why don't you give us a, a little bit of background on the book before we dive into our discussion? Well, the book starts with Brian Robson. He's 13 years old. He's on his way up to the Canadian wilderness where his father is working in the oil fields. And his parents have recently started in on the divorce process. And he knows a secret of why his parents are getting a divorce that he's still grappling with. Uh, While he's on his way there, it's just he and a pilot on a single engine plane flying up to see his father. And the pilot has a heart attack. And so Brian ends up steering the plane and eventually trying to land it. And he lands it in a lake in the Canadian wilderness, uh, far off course from where they were headed. And uh, he has to survive out there. He luckily makes it till the end. And we will give away the ending on this one simply because we want to talk about some of the sequels. Yeah, we will be talking about the ending, though, um, kind of near the end, and we'll let you know when that happens. So if you want to skip ahead, you you can, uh, in case you haven't caught up with the reading. And with future books, we'll make sure that we put spoiler ones in there. But, I mean, this one's been out since 87. I think a lot of people have already read it. And obviously you know that since there are um, four sequels to it, obviously he makes it at the end. Um, so a little bit of a spoiler, but we think we'll be fine. Um, for for this one. We think you can handle it. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, um, kid lives. Um, <laughs> that would be a very depressing young adult literature book, I think, and I don't think it would be nearly as popular if Brian did not make it uh, through the end. Uh, this book is, uh, I really enjoyed reading it, and and Cody has reminded me time and time again that sometimes I can be kind of picky when it comes to young adult literature, and while there were some things in here that I that I could take issue with, I, I thought for the most part this is a really well-written book. I can see why maybe lower-level readers like it. And Cody, you talked about this, um, because there's a lot of repetition in the book. Uh, his thought process is very similar, especially at the beginning. And even when he goes 
and he's trying to discover how to do new things. His thought process is very similar. And so there's kind of a general arc that you can follow uh, no matter what's going on uh, in the book. And so I think it, it lends itself really well to to someone that's maybe a reluctant reader. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I thought it, I thought it was, you know, despite that, it was still a very well-written book. I thought the pacing was really good. Uh, and I think Paulson does a really nice job of making you care about Brian. We get just enough, I think, of his home life and what he's struggling with as a 13-year-old, um, now just realizing that he's coming from a broken home, that I think we can really relate to him, and I think a lot of younger adults can relate to that if they're going through that in their family, and they definitely know friends or other family members who have gone through that. So yeah, we start to care about Brian, and also to address the repetitive aspect that you brought up, I think a lot of survival stories have that repetitive just because it reinforces what you need to do to survive out there. I mean, you need to kind of go through and make a list constantly in your mind of what you need to accomplish to survive. Yeah, and and Brian does a really nice job of that throughout the book. He's, I mean, understandably so after he crashes, he, you know, it takes him a little while to kind of, you know, get his bearings, which you know, we'll, we'll allow that. We'll forgive that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I probably would not have made it the 54 days that Brian did. Um, but you know, he, once he, he takes stock of situation, he's very good at, you know, assessing what he has, what he needs to do. Um, the, the process that he goes through, you know, whether it's making fire or how to catch fish or birds and rabbits, you know, it's, it's a really, a really good thought out process. Um, there's one chapter in particular where he he starts really preparing for long term and and he makes sure that his shelter is more secure and that it has a place for food storage in case something happens to him and he can't go out and pick berries, for instance. Uh, and he just he kind of goes through the he, you see his thought process gradually grow and grow and grow, and that's what I think a really exciting thing to see. He's not just gonna survive on berries for. 180 pages basically he's going to do more things and he's going to make a better life for himself um, out in in the wilderness and I think it's a really really cool thing that he's able to do and I think Paulson does a really really nice job of walking us through uh, Brian's thought process and making it feel like you're you're there with Brian and, and kind of know what he's thinking. Uh, one, I think, turning point for Brian was after he is uh, pricked, I guess, or stung by a porcupine. I don't know exactly what happened, but he gets um, the quills into his leg. I don't know if they sting you. I, I'm not sure. but he I has, think they just hurt a lot. That, yeah. He had some, some porcupine quills stuck in his leg, and he takes them out, and then he just kind of has a moment where he breaks down. And he cries, and it's just, he's not going to make it, he thinks. He cried until he was cried out, is the quote. Um, and then all of a sudden, in the next paragraph, he turns it around. And he just realizes, you know what, this is not going to change anything. My leg hurts, it's dark, I'm alone, and the self-pity has accomplished nothing. And I think that's a huge turning point for Brian right after that. And he really starts to get it together. I know, Alan, when you and I were kind of reading it side by side, when we were finishing the book today, we were just like, oh, that was a good chapter. He really got it together after that. 
Yeah, and then that speaks to how Paulson is able to make you care about it. You know, I, I can't really think of a lot of other young adult books where I've been, like, proud of a character. You know, to use the Hunger Games as an example, and I enjoyed the Hunger Games series, but I was never, I don't really think I ever remember being like, wow, Katniss really nailed it that chapter. I'm so proud of her. But in in this this book in particular, I, I went through it, and he builds fire, and you see the thought press in which he builds fire, and you're proud of him. And when he figures out, you know, he remembers a lesson from school about how water reflects light, and he has to adjust for that to catch fish. And, you know, it was describing him catching the fish and then cooking the fish and eating them. And it's an, ex you know, you feel that excitement that he has. The other thing that, he, that Paulson does, is, you know, is he doesn't, you know, there's not a lot of exclamation points in the book. There's not a lot of like, oh, wow, I can't believe I did it. It's just simply, I did this. And this is what this means for, for Brian. You know, he's able to now shoot arrows at birds and, and kill them. Uh, and that means he's going to get meat and he's going to have, a, you know, more energy and more food. Uh, and so I think even though Paulson doesn't draw your attention to these significant moments with a lot of pageantry and punctuation, you still feel that pride uh, that Paulson, or I should say Brian, has. And, and that might play into the fact that, okay, well, I've got food today, and that's a really big thing, but there's still things to do is kind of one of the mantras of the book. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah, always something to do. I think Paulson also um, gives us some nice moments of humor in there. He calls uh, the the grouse foolish um, birds, and I thought that was uh, nice. And I also like that Paulson didn't just have Brian immediately know what kind of animals they were. He just kind of made up names for things if he didn't understand what they were, and so he called them the foolish birds. Another humorous moment that I enjoyed that was my probably my favorite line in the book. Brian is attacked by a moose. It's just this crazy moose that just goes bonkers on him. And then shortly right after the moose, he's really beat up. His ribs are hurting. A tornado goes through and just devastates his camp. And as he's just kind of laying down and he's exhausted and tired and doesn't know what's even left for him to scrounge up from his camp, uh, the last thought he had that morning as he closed his eyes was, I hope the tornado hit the moose. And I just, I burst out laughing. Yeah, one of, the, one of those moments for me where I just thought it was hilarious was, I think it's the first time he catches a bird. And I can't, I have so many bookmarks uh, throughout <laughs> this book that I'm having trouble finding um, the, the actual passage. But it, I think it's after he catches a bird for the same, for the first time, and, or it might be fish, and, and he says, the way he puts it is, I've done food. I have done food. And I just thought that was kind of a, a funny, funny way of, of terming it. I had a, a wonder if, since he ha he's not having contact and talking to anybody, I mean, there's barely any dialogue, really, in the book. If, I mean, his, his language is like going caveman-ish, you know, like, I have done food, or I have made fire, I made fire, or... Yeah, I mean, Brian, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't talk very much. I think he um, talks to the fire once, is like... Yeah, he, he says, hello, fire, and he, he, like, he treats it like it's his friend, but he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't talk, like, hardly at all until, obviously, at the beginning when he's got the pilot, and then at the end, um, when he, spoiler alert, gets rescued, um... <laughs> But I, I think I think sometimes when it you know it says something like I Brian has done food it it might be reflecting that 
he's losing some of some of that human nature and and that's kind of that is a theme I know in in some of the future books is he just feels more at home in the woods than he does you know and maybe that's Paulson's way of reflecting that so should we maybe talk about the future books or is there anything else that you want to address well how about uh favorite lines I know you had that one about the moose, but were there any others that, that stood out to you? I think one of my favorite was, and it was chapter 11, and that was the chapter I had mentioned where he just, he really gets it together. And the chapter 11 ends with, there were these things to do. And it's just, he's making a list, and he has a plan, and we're hopeful that Brian's going to make it, and he's he's on the right track, he's left self-pity in the in the past, and things are going well. Yeah, and and for me, it's um, it's actually kind of the opposite of that. It's after he gets attacked by the moose, and the tornado comes, and he's kind of at square one, uh, seemingly. And this is about three quarters of the way of the book. In my copy, it's page what page one hundred and fifty seven. And and this is a longer passage, but I'll I'll read the whole thing. But there is a difference now. He thought there really is a difference. I might be hit. But I'm not done. When the light comes, I'll start to rebuild. I still have the hatchet, and that's all I had in the first place. Come on, he thought, baring his teeth in the darkness. Come on. Is that the best you can do? Is that all you can hit me with? A moose and a tornado? Well, he thought, holding his ribs and smiling, then spitting mosquitoes out of his mouth. Well, that won't get the job done. That was the difference now. He had changed, and he was tough. I'm tough where it counts. Tough in the head. And I think one of the things that I really like about this book is that you, you see Brian's mental fortitude just kind of grow throughout the book, and he's got setbacks. I mean, if if you know you you think this is clear sailing from him, it's not. Uh, and you see him develop that. And I just thought that line, you know, I'm tough where it counts, tough in the head, that really stuck out to me as as a, a great line. And I think a, a, a message that you hope younger readers kind of take away from this book that, you know, if you, you know, in kind of internalize things and believe in yourself, you can do a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take on the world. So should we talk about future books or the ending? Future books in the series? Or... Yeah, future books in the series. Or I should we think talk we about should the... talk about the ending first. Okay. Just because there's some conflict in the, the future books. With there, the ending, there is. So. There is. <laughs> so I'm just going to come out and say it. I did not like the ending. <gasps> and it was not that he... And by the way, if you don't want to know how it ends, other than he gets rescued, this might be a good time to skip ahead <laughs> for a few minutes anyway. Um, I didn't like... I mean, it wasn't that I didn't like that he got rescued. I mean, I was happy that he got rescued. But uh, what what ends up happening for Brian is he, he... This tornado that went through actually kind of brings the plane that had crashed into the lake kind of back up to the surface. And he's able to go out to it and find a survival pack. Uh, and he's really excited about this, which, understandably so, he should be excited about it. I mean, it's the means for him to live. And winter is is on its way. He's noticed that there's freezes and it's colder. And and so he knows that he needs to be prepared for that. In the immortal words of House Stark, winter (laughs) is coming. Yes. (laughs) Hashtag please hurry up, George R.R. Martin. Um, But in this this pack that he gets, which 
I didn't know it was as big. I, I don't remember it being as big, but it just seems like it goes like there's just he pulls everything out of this mm -hmm. thing. But there's a rifle in there, and he puts the rifle together, and he, and he says it was a strange feeling holding the rifle. It somehow removed him from everything around him. Without the rifle, he had to fit in, be part of it all, meaning like you know nature, his surroundings. Uh, with the rifle, suddenly he didn't have to know, did not have to be afraid or understand. He didn't have to get close to a fool bird to kill it. Didn't have to know how it would stand if he didn't look at it and moved off to the side. The rifle changed him the minute he picked it up, and he wasn't sure he liked the change very much. He set it aside, leaning it carefully against the wall. He could deal with that feeling later. And there's a, there's something else in the in the pack that he's like, I don't really know how I feel about this because it, it changes things, but it changes them so dramatically, it kind of makes me apart from the wilderness. And then four pages later, he gets rescued. Yeah, it's very sudden. I mean, he, he plays with the little emergency transmitter for just a few seconds, and then this pilot shows up out of nowhere. And so I do, I do agree with you, Alan, that it was um, not the best ending for me, just because it seemed sudden. I, I, I think even just having one more chapter, and, I, and it might have been something where they told Paulson, you know, write us a young adult novel where a kid survives in the wilderness uh, and have it under 200 pages because it clocks in at like 195 with an epilogue. But I think even if there was like one more chapter where, you know, he goes out and hunts with the rifle and makes a decision whether he likes it or not, um, or if he just wrestles with those feelings a little bit more, I would have liked to have seen that. But it seemed it just seemed like a really big question to to put up at the end. And we never get a resolution to it. It's just kind of hanging out there still. Mm -hmm. Well, and now kind of, I think, going into the other books that might kind of lead into his place in nature, um, because that is something that he's grappling with in these future books. Yeah, it, it's possible that in, these, in, the, in the next book, uh, which is The River, um, he might he might deal with it, and in fact, reading that we read we read the synopses of of all of the future books, and I think the river, you know, he's kind of hired by the government to show them how to survive in the wilderness, which seems kind of odd for them to hire a fourteen year old boy, but whatever, it's Canada, um, and so now now. <laughs> Oh, please. <laughs> uh, sorry, my Canadian friends. <laughs> but he's, he goes out with this uh, psychologist, I think, into the woods. Mm -hmm. And the military says, you guys should take all of these provisions with you. And Brian says, no, because if we know that a hot meal and a good night's rest is just uh, basically a phone call away... We're not going to have that sense of urgency, so he elects to leave it all behind. So maybe in a way that answers the question of what he does with the rifle. And if he has that rifle, it, it kind of squares things up a little bit for him uh, in Brian's Winter, which is kind of book two, part B, if you will, because that's what it, basically Brian's Winter is. A lot of people wrote into Gary Paulson and said, hey, your ending wasn't super great. We just kind of think... You wrapped it up. You too wrapped quick. it up too quickly, and so he said, "Well, here's what he would have had to go through in the winter, and maybe he uses the." I've if I have read Brian's Winter, it has been 
years, and I can't remember if he uses the rifle or not. I do remember reading the river, but only in the fact that I remember them building a raft and mm. and coming down. Yeah, I I know I didn't read those ones. Um, and honestly, being the librarian, Hatchet is checked out the most often. And then some do continue on with the series. They read The River and Brian's Winter, Brian's Return and Brian's Hunt. Um, but it's more dedicated fans, I think. And not, for the most part, Hatchet is a standalone for a lot of readers. And, and I think it works pretty well as a standalone. And I'd be, I'd be interested in, in reading the other ones, you know, at, at some point. Um, but, I mean, just kind of, of looking at the synopses, Again, it just seemed, you know, there's a lot of, like, kind of far-fetchedness to them. Like, you know, again, in, in the river, the Canadian military hires him. I think it's the Canadian military, anyway, hires him to, you know, learn his survival skills. And you think, well, you're a military operation. You probably already know those. I think Brian's, I think it's Brian's hunt. He basically gets fed up with society and goes and lives in the woods. Uh, and he homeschools himself and... Like, well, that doesn't really seem like, you know, a, a plausible thing. I think there's a lot of, like, kind of young, like, kind of younger teenager wish fulfillment that might go on in some of the later books. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, because who wouldn't like to survive in the woods and then get hired by the military to go do it again, you know, when you're a 14-year-old boy? I mean, a lot of them would be ecstatic about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that that might play into it. I think Hatchet just, again, just based off of synopses, is the more true-to-life book of the series. Um, but I, th I think there are avenues that Paulson can and hopefully does explore in in the future books in the Brian saga. Well, um, there is another book that you might like if you like Hatchet called My Side of the Mountain by Jean Craighead George. And actually, that is very reminiscent of Brian's Hunt. The, the main character in that is fed up with society and goes off to to live by himself in the mountains. Well, and, and you know me, I, I love Henry David Thoreau and Walden, so, you know, I went into the woods because I wished to live deliberately. Uh, so I I get it to a certain extent, but also Thoreau was, you know, an adult. But a, a, maybe a young adult at heart there with that idea. <laughs> a topic for another day. Well, <laughs> I have more books. I have more books. You have well. You're the librarian. Of course, I you have do. One. I did want to ask you, as a as a librarian, are you and you know again, this book was published in 1987. It has been in circulation for almost 30 years. Are you surprised that it is as popular with readers today as it is? I think I was last year when it was my first year as librarian. But now going back and rereading it, I really think no, this. This will stand very well in time, actually, just because it deals with divorce, and that's such a, a big issue for um, that young adult age. And it deals with survival, and I don't think survival stories are going out of popularity at all. They're going to stay. So I, I think it's going to stay for quite a while. I uh, maybe was a little surprised last year. I had a tournament of books that I had a competition of books between, and I put Hatchet in the competition, and I honestly didn't expect it to go very far against, like, The Maze Runner by James Dashner or The Hunger Games. And those were the top two books, but Hatchet did very well, so. 
Yeah, and, and I think the other thing that makes it timeless is even though we live in this era of technology and cell phones and stuff like that, I mean, that stuff doesn't work in the Canadian wilderness. It doesn't work three miles outside of our small town here in Montana. <laughs> That's true. So, I mean, I, 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 you know, a younger reader is wondering, like, well, wouldn't this be different with a cell phone? I think, you know, after five pages, be like, eh, no, not really. He wouldn't be able to use it anyway. Right. He so, wouldn't have any data, and then he would lose battery. So, so I, don't, I don't think that... Although there might be a tracker in it that they could have... Yeah, I mean, that would be the only thing. But, I mean, I I think overall, it's a story that even though technology is going to change, it has things that are true to life with coming from a broken home and and having to rely on yourself kind of in that situation, possibly as a a child um, that's going through that. And then in in the wilderness, having to survive just based off of your wits. I think it's just, it's, it's going to be a story that I think and also because it's, an, and I mean, it's a pretty easy read, too. Mm-hmm. I think all of those things combined mean this hatchet, I think, will remain popular. Um, obviously, it's not, you know, at the top of a bestseller list. I mean, maybe now it will be. We featured it on You Hear Me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's but make it. Big uh, I, think, I think it's a book that once readers get their hands on, they, uh, you know, they'll, they'll get into and they enjoy. And I think it'll remain kind of popular. Especially out in you know the western United States where we're very outdoorsy people, and I think it's that plays a part into maybe why it's popular around here too. But I think it'll it'll remain that way. Well, and to kind of further um, justify that, yes, it, it is going to make it uh, a new book that I think was just published last year called Surviving Bear Island by Paul Grichy um, is a very popular book, and I'm recommending it for any of the kids who like Hatchet to read this. It's about a um, a young boy who is out kayaking uh, in the Alaskan area of the the sea next to some islands out there. He and his father are kayaking together. His mother has passed away, and he's kind of dealing with that because his father really withdrew after her death. He gets separated. There's a an accident. He's separated from his father, and he winds up on this island called Bear Island, and he has to survive all by himself. And it's very popular, and it's just a brand new book. So I think they just keep coming in Hatchet's, like, you know, one of the, the original gold stars. Survival books. Yeah. They stand up against those dystopians. All right. So any other uh, final thoughts on Hatchet? No, I don't think we can probably talk about our next book. All right. And you are more familiar with this next book because last year... You read it and you were hooked, and yes. you got a bunch of, especially girls down at the Glendive Middle School, hooked on this book and series. So I'll let you kind of give a little teaser about Cinder. I could not think of it. I was like, <laughs> uh, robot Cinderella. That's not quite it, but that's about all I know. She's not a robot. Ah. Okay, so I'll tell you a little about this, since Alan doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, I haven't read it. <laughs> it's uh, it's called Cinder. It's the first book in the Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. And they're a very popular series. Cinderella is actually a cyborg. So she's got some robotic parts, but she's still a human. And it takes place uh, far into the future. And the first one is Cinder. The second is Scarlet. So it's it's a play on the fairy tales. So the Cinderella story. And then they add in the second book Red Riding Hood, Scarlet, 
The third one is Cress, the Rapunzel story. And then there's a, um, I guess, a 3.5 that deals with the evil queen who lives on the moon. And then the fourth one, which recently came out as Winter. And then there's some backstories that I've seen on my feed that just recently came out dealing with some of the backstories on all of the characters. So they're very popular. I have three copies of Cinder right now in the library. All of them are out. I know that a few of the, the students that I have in Savage have read them and have really enjoyed them. I had one um, girl last year. She was a senior, and she just ripped through, the I think, the three books that were out at the time. And I would not be surprised if she hadn't gone out and gotten the fourth one when it came out this year. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to kind of see what all of the all of the fuss is about. With, you'll you'll like them. I like them. The Cinder. Uh, so, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. So that'll be in two weeks. And again, we do want to hear from from you guys. If you are reading Cinder, or maybe you've read it, and there's something that you want us to talk about, uh, or maybe maybe you're a parent and you're daughter or son has read Cinder and you want to kind of know a little bit more about it, do contact us. And there are um, a couple of ways that you can do this. Uh, if you're a big fan of just the gold old standard email, um, our email address is yahearmeshow at gmail.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash yahearmeshow. And then, of course, there's always the Twitter account, which is uh, handle at yahearmeshow. Uh, so please do reach out to us. We do want to hear from you guys. Remember, this is like a, a book club in podcast form. So please uh, send us your questions or your observations. Or if you have any, you know, follow-up on Hatchet, we take that too. And, of course, any suggestions that you have for books in the future, uh, do let us know. We'd like to know what's popular with our listeners. Yes, I, I love book recommendations. They're my bread and butter, pretty much. It's what you do all day, it, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that's all I do. <laughs> all right. So, again, uh, please do email us, yehearmeshow at gmail.com or facebook.com slash yehearmeshow um, or at yehearmeshow on the Twitters. A couple of thank yous before we get out of here. Uh, Josh Woodward is the artist who did our title music. That's Overthrown. And if you want to see, check out more of his work, uh, you can go online to joshwoodward.com. And also special thanks to my friend Justin Davis for doing our cover art. Thank you. Keep reading. And uh, we are on iTunes. It is official. Uh, so you can subscribe and like us and rate us on there and tell your friends and all of that good stuff. So we hope to, uh, to hear from you guys for next week, or not next week, in two weeks when we discuss Cinder. Right.